Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Tuesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, otherwise it will punch you in the throat, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is digital entertainment and business news. Because you know, over the last year, we've seen the internet personality wars heat up, with large creators getting poached from their normal platforms of choice for exclusive high dollar deals. You know, last year we saw Twitch seeing high profile departures of Ninja, Shroud, who then left for Mixer. You know, along with those, we saw other exclusive deals like Twitch locking down Dr. Lupo, Tim the Tapman, Lyric, Google and YouTube locking down the likes of Courage, Typical Gamer, Valkyrie, and others. Also, it hasn't just been big content creators. I mean, earlier this year, Twitch took a huge blow when Activision, Blizzard, and Google announced a multi-year partnership with YouTube, making YouTube the exclusive partner for its eSports League, including Call of Duty League and Overwatch League. That was incredibly notable because exclusive rights to Activision Blizzard events used to be held by Twitch after signing a two-year deal back in 2017. Right, and it was a move so big that it was described by courts as the equivalent of the Super Bowl and the Olympic Games, making Fox their exclusive viewing partner for several years, shutting out all other networks. But now, the massive news that we've seen over the last 24 hours is that YouTube's biggest individual creator PewDiePie has signed an exclusive live streaming deal with YouTube. Right, and this move notably coming almost a year after PewDiePie teamed up with DLive, which was a small blockchain-based live streaming site. But now all this time after, it appears that they were able to lock him down. Now, as far as how much it cost them, financial terms of the deal have not been disclosed. But in a press release from YouTube, PewDiePie said, YouTube has been my home for over a decade now and live streaming on the platform feels like a natural fit as I continue to look for new ways to create content and interact with fans worldwide. And adding live streaming is something I'm focusing a lot on in 2020 and beyond. So to be able to partner with YouTube and be at the forefront of new product features is special and exciting for the future. Now, I will say, seeing this news, I and I imagine many others were like, yeah, this makes sense. Right, if the most subscribed to individual on your platform jump ship to another one of the big players, doesn't look great for you. Especially because for the future of YouTube, I know YouTube gaming and live streaming is a big aspect of their goals. But that said, it didn't stop some to try to muddy this situation. With a number of outlets spending a majority of their headline and article space laying out PewDiePie's past controversies. Right, and some briefly laid out his history in an attempt to explain his kind of on-again, off-again relationship with YouTube, but others use language that seemed to suggest that YouTube should not have made this deal. Vice's motherboard, for instance, wrote that YouTube is completely ignoring the years of bad behavior in its article titled, YouTube and PewDiePie can't afford to quit each other. Forbes decided to go with the headline, PewDiePie signs deal with YouTube despite history of racist anti-Semitic comments, with the Washington Post calling him controversial but popular and opening its coverage by pointing to the Wall Street Journal's heavily criticized report about the YouTuber's use of anti-Semitic jokes. With the paper writing, now it appears to be water under the bridge. And it's not shocking that this happened. I imagine both YouTube and Felix knew that this was coming. I mean, pretty much in any PewDiePie coverage, they're like, do you remember what he said in the past? But with that said, with there being that anticipation for there to be backlash or negative news articles or angling, I think that is what makes this deal so notable, that YouTube was like, whatever. The audience, the actual people consuming content, they decide what is king on our site, right? They decide, not negative press. Now with all that said, I kind of my final thoughts on this is just kind of watching this war play out very slowly over the past year has been very fascinating. And it very much feels like the, the ultimate winners here are the creators that are getting locked down to stay on Twitch and YouTube specifically, right? They're essentially getting airdropped money bags to just continue doing what they're already doing out of fear that they might leave. All without having to take a hit on views because those platforms are worried that if enough people move to, let's say, a mixer, that then, you know, there there could actually be this domino effect that we haven't fully seen on a grand scale. That said, 
Quibi, if you would like to offer me $20 million to exclusively stream this show on Quibi, hit me up. Not really, unless... Then I want to share my, my favorite quickie news story of the day. And that is a story of a five-year-old boy who is pulled over for driving a car. Now, obviously, I cannot endorse this behavior to the literal tens and twelves of five-year-olds watching this show along with their parents. But the reason I love this story is just the, the childish absurdity to it. According to reports, this highway patrol trooper sees this car going 32 miles per hour in a 70. Right, and so that trooper says, uh, initially I thought this was someone that was inebriated or someone in a medical emergency. So he initiates a traffic stop and lo and behold, five-year-old behind the wheel. And as far as the reason this five-year-old was driving a car by himself, apparently, was because he was driving to California to buy a Lamborghini with the money in his wallet, which was reportedly $3. Which, once again, I love because it's just absolutely absurd, but in the mind of a five-year-old, totally makes sense. But unfortunately with this situation, that's kind of where the, the we can have fun with this story because thank God no one got hurt ends. We get to the part of the story about blame and consequences because how did this happen? One, reportedly the boy's parents were both at work at the time and an older sibling in their teens was supposed to be babysitting him when he grabbed the car keys and left. Which is also why, too, the highway patrol trooper reportedly said that the agency was in communication with the county attorney to determine whether any charges should be filed against the boy's parents. Parents. And so actually, that's the note that I want to end on. What are your thoughts regarding that point? Do you think there should be charges against the parents? Yes, no, why, why not? Which actually, on that note, I had never looked into this before. While researching for this story, I found that actually a majority of US states don't have a minimum age law or even a statewide recommendation as far as leaving children at home. And of those that do have laws, or at the very least some sort of guidance, you have examples like Kansas with an age recommendation of at least six, with the state of Illinois at the higher end of 14 years old. But yeah, like I said, let me know what you're thinking and why. And then let's talk about something that's very important and very concerning, and that's the escalating tensions that we're seeing with mask requirements. Right, and this story actually starts in Stillwater, Oklahoma, because on Friday, the city enacted a new requirement forcing all customers and employees and local businesses to wear face masks. And notably, that comes as the state begins reopening businesses like restaurants, gyms, and movie theaters. However, what we ended up actually seeing just three hours later, you had multiple businesses reporting that their employees had faced not only verbal abuse, but also violent threats. One of those threats even reportedly including a shooting. And so what we ended up seeing later that same day was the city rolling back those requirements. With city manager Norman McNichol saying in a statement, the city of Stillwater has attempted to keep people safe by the simple requirement to wear a face covering to protect others. It is unfortunate and distressing that those who refuse and threaten violence are so self-absorbed as to not follow what is a simple show of respect and kindness to others. And providing further insight into why they were rolling back these requirements, you had Mayor Will Joy saying that their police force just is not equipped to handle this. It's been a difficult issue for the last few weeks. Um, we've had a, a strong encouragement in all of our orders for the last few weeks for everyone to, to wear face coverings uh, while out in public, even while we were still under a shelter in place order. Um, and, and sort of measuring uh, that against uh, the idea of trying to enforce a, a broader order, uh, which is difficult. We're a, you know, a small city. Um, we don't have uh, the kind of police force that can go out and, and try to uh, deal with every single one of uh, the people who may not be willing to wear the mask. So right now, city officials are still encouraging customers and employees to continue wearing face masks, but the, the city isn't actually requiring them to do so. But of course, if a business wants to have a mask policy, much like they could have a no shirt, no shoes policy, they could. But as far as what businesses will do, uh, that remains to be seen. And, and I mentioned that previous story because also on the same day, a security guard in Flint, Michigan was actually shot and killed for telling a customer to wear a face mask. According to police, this incident began when a family dollar security guard by the name of Calvin Munnerlyn told a woman that she needed to wear a mask to stay in the store. According to reports, that woman left, she went back to her car. However, her mother who was wearing a face mask remained in the store. She then reportedly begins yelling and even spitting at Calvin. And because of that, Calvin asked the cashier not to serve this woman. She then storms out, gets in her car, she drives off, but, 
About 20 minutes later, that car drives back into the parking lot. And that woman's husband and son reportedly get out of the car. They walk into the store. And according to surveillance footage, her husband, Larry Teague, approaches Calvin. Teague then starts yelling at Calvin, telling Calvin that he disrespected the women and Teague's family. And that is when police say the woman's son, Remanye Bishop, pulled out a gun and shot Calvin in the head killing him. So just a horrible, heart-wrenching, tragic story, but also incredibly notable because it's the first public instance that we've seen of an extreme use of violence over face masks. Now with this incident, as of yesterday, not only were Bishop and Teague charged with premeditated first-degree murder, but also the mother here, Charmel Teague, she was also charged with the same crime. Though notably, she's the only one who's been arrested so far. Both Bishop and Larry Teague are still at large. And so that's where we are. I mean, hopefully the police can find these two, bring all three to justice. Because I guess just to not mince any words here, be, to be straightforward, all three of these people are worthless scumbags. You've got Calvin, who's just simply trying to do his job. He's trying to keep the employees and the customers safe and feeling secure. Now, because of these assholes, a, a man, a husband, a father to eight children is dead. Well, so far, this is an isolated incident. I hope, I need for the three here to be made an example of. Just to show any other worthless assholes that might resort to violence because their feelings got hurt because they got called out on being an inconsiderate asshole, that they will be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And then let's talk about this very massive news coming out of the Philippines connected to President Duterte, everyone's favorite, definitely not insane narcissist. So today, the Philippine government ordered the country's biggest news network, ABS-CBN, to stop operations. By making this the first time that a major broadcaster has been shut down by the administration of President Rodrigo Duterte. And that move coming after the company's license expired yesterday because the country's Congress failed to renew it. And that's because very notably here in the Philippines, it's Congress that has the sole power to grant broadcast licenses. And so what we ended up seeing here is that the lower house, which is overwhelmingly stacked with Duterte's allies, refused to pass bills that would renew ABS-CBN's permit. Or just think about it like if the Trump administration could and decided to shut down Fox News or MSNBC. But it's essentially the same idea because the scope that this network has is big, if not actually even bigger. The company itself has been around nearly 75 years and according According to one report, ABS-CBN's TV channel is watched by two out of every five Filipinos, which is roughly 40 million people. That's like if in the United States, over 130 million Americans watched a news network. And on top of that, the network also runs a popular radio station that has 25% share of the market, also has a cable TV channel and runs a subsidiary that offers online content, which are not included in the shutdown order. But this is still incredibly significant because it is quite literally the government deciding to shut down the biggest TV news network in the middle of a pandemic. Right? And as of this morning, the Philippines has reported over 9,600 confirmed cases and 630 deaths. Much of the population is under quarantine measures. Also, last month, Duterte ordered the police and military to shoot and kill anyone who violated the lockdown. And according to reports, ABS-CBN was on the front lines of the pandemic throughout all of this, reporting on hard topics like the state of healthcare workers and hunger under quarantine. And on top of that, the network also said that it gave relief goods worth nearly $6 million to about 600,000 families that were under lockdown. And while this is obviously really big, this is also not completely out of nowhere. I mean, Duterte has been threatening to close ABS-CBN since he took office in 2016, and in fact, his beef with the network goes back even before he was president. During the 2016 election, he accused the company of refusing to run one of his political ads, which they denied doing. And since then, he's also accused the network of tax evasion, also reportedly calling its reporters sons of bitches and accusing them of being spies. Meanwhile, ABS-CBN has been closely and critically documenting Duterte's so-called war on drugs, which has killed thousands, a move that obviously angered him. And so, as a result, Duterte has repeatedly said that he would never sign a law renewing ABS-CBN's broadcast license, even reportedly telling the network's owners that if they wanted a license, they needed to sell the company. 
company, which was a move that pushed many to believe that he wanted an ally of his to take over the leading broadcaster. Then, seemingly in an effort to get Duterte to back off, we saw ABS CBN's president apologize to Duterte in a congressional hearing. And while Duterte accepted that apology, he then said that license renewal was up to Congress, which, of course, was filled with his allies who continued to hold up that process. Now, that said, there seemed to be some hope because the country's Department of Justice and National Telecommunications Commission, the NTC, had previously told Congress that a temporary permit would be issued. Right, and that was something that would allow the network to continue operations after its license expired. But on Sunday, the government's top lawyer threatened to charge the NTC with graft if they gave ABS-CBN the temporary permit, which they ended up not doing. And while the top lawyer claimed that the NTC doesn't have the power to give out those permits, others have pointed out that is exactly something it has done a number of times before. And so that was a move that got a lot of backlash, even from some of Duterte's allies. Yeah, the Senate Majority Leader calling the move highly irregular, adding, I know for a fact that there are many stations operating on a provisional authority, and adding, we can cite many instances when the NTC granted a provisional authority for those still applying for their franchises. We also saw a lot of criticism from industry groups and human rights activists, many who called it an attack on press freedoms and freedom of speech. With groups like the Foreign Correspondents Association of the Philippines saying in a statement, ABS-CBN's indefatigable journalists have fully embraced their role to provide the public with vital information on the pandemic despite risks to their health and safety. The move is clearly a case of political harassment against a pillar of Philippine democracy that employs thousands of Filipinos whose livelihoods are now at risk with the order. The National Union of Journalists of the Philippines also calling this a brazen move to shut down ABS-CBN, saying that he intends to silence the critical media and intimidate everyone else into submission. Human Rights Watch also condemning the move, saying that the Solicitor General should stop acting like Duterte's attack dog. But that said, unfortunately, this speaks to a broader trend in the Philippines. I mean, the Philippines was once considered to have the freest press in Asia, but recently it has consistently been ranked as one of the most dangerous countries for journalists in the world. And Duterte's administration has furthered that hostile environment for reporters, and Duterte himself has openly threatened journalists and media outlets, even making death threats against some reporters and saying that no journalist should be exempted from assassination. But ultimately, that's where we are with the situation. We have to wait to see what's gonna happen next because right now, ABS-CBN has 10 days to respond to the government's order and explain why they should be allowed to stay open. And after that, according to reports, a hearing will be set after the lockdown ends, which I mean, it could be a long time from now. And yeah, I mention this not only because it by itself is big news, not only because this is not the first time that Duterte has done something like this, but also because it is a cautionary tale. As one CBS report on this explained, Maria Ressa, who was once a correspondent for CNN International and now runs the Manila-based online news service Rappler, she's now facing close to a dozen court cases with Ressa telling 60 Minutes last year that she'd been threatened not just with imprisonment, but rape and even death for her reporting of Duterte's drug war. And separately, Ressa told CBSN that Duterte's policies were an attempt to silence and manipulate the media to pervert the course of democracy. And she called it a cautionary tale for the United States. Because as every country has had to figure out or will figure out in the future, everything seems impossible that it could happen where you live until it happens. It's a slow lean, a slow push, and then it happens all at once. But like I said, that's a story as it is now. And of course, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts on this? And that is where I'm going to end today's show. And hey, if you like this video, hit us with a like. Also, if you're new here, you want more of these daily dives into the news, hit that subscribe button, maybe even ring that bell to turn on notifications so you don't miss the daily show. Also, if you're looking for more to watch, I got some videos you can click or tap right here, including yesterday's show, which you might've missed. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces and I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you like the video. Subscribe if you like it.